Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Compound and Friends. So happy that you could be here with us tonight. The show is sponsored by our friends at public.com and the public app. I want to explain to you what's going on here. The first thing that you need to understand is that historically, buying U.S. treasuries has been a really clunky, annoying process. Nobody seemed to mind or notice because yields were so low, almost non-existent for, for a lot of years in the last couple of decades. Um, what's changed now is that the yields are real, not just in absolute terms, but in relative terms, relative to inflation, you are earning a decent return on T-bills and it's become a part of a lot of people's portfolios. I use the public app. Um, I downloaded it this past year. I have, uh, excess cash in the bank every once in a while. I'll just shoot some over to public. It takes literally seconds. I buy my T-bills right on public. And the coolest feature from my perspective, because I'm busy, I have other things to worry about. We're managing money for clients. I don't have time to play around with my own money. Public will automatically roll the T-bills as they mature. So the current yield is 5.4% annualized which doesn't mean you get that in six months if you buy a six-month T-bill. That's the annualized yield, but you can lock that rate in right now. And I think uh, this is the kind of thing where once you do it once, you're going to look at your excess cash and say, why don't I do that all the time? I want you to go to public.com slash compound and do it through us. And if you do, I think you'll have a great experience. So that's public.com slash compound. Thanks so much to our friends at Public for sponsoring the show. I want to talk about the show because we have big plans for 2024, and you guys are the reason why we do this. You've been listening. You've been watching our stuff. The downloads are just absolutely off the charts. We, we broke records for our channel on YouTube throughout the fall. Downloads for the audio shows are booming, and we've been hiring. We've been staffing up and building our capability to do even more content. But I want to talk specifically about what we're doing with the Tuesday night show, which you're listening to right now. So we first started putting up content here on Tuesday nights because people were asking us for the audio from What Are Your Thoughts, which is the live show that we do on YouTube every Tuesday. So basically, we would record the show live on YouTube, and then right afterward, uh, Duncan and John would lightly edit the, uh, the, the audio and upload it like as, as a standalone podcast episode. And you guys were listening to it. You guys were downloading it, and that's really cool. The thing is, a lot of you are watching the YouTube show, so you don't also need to listen to the audio after. And so the thought was, well, what else should we be doing if the Compound and Friends is going to be biweekly? Like, what else could we give people? One of the things that I think has been missing from the channel is we do a really great job with long-form conversation. Uh, every Thursday at the market close, we have a really great guest in, big names, big personalities, tons of expertise. Um, we bring in Tom Lee. We bring in Sembolist. We brought in Dr. David Kelly this past week. Nick Colas comes by. Tony Dwyer. I mean, the list is absurd, right? So we do... I think we're we're as good at that as as anyone. Maybe maybe better than anyone. I don't know. You guys will <laughs> you guys will tell me if I'm wrong. But we book those guests months in advance. Like no exaggeration, Nicole is out there booking people for March right now. And that's the way we want to do it. There's nothing wrong with that. If you want to get big name guests, they're not just hanging out. 
like, hey, uh, you have uh, two hours to kill. You want to come by, you know, our studio in Bryant Park. You're, you're not going to be able to book great guests that often on, on that basis. So planning ahead is crucial. The thing is, the market moves, the news cycle moves, things change, things happen, there are developments. And sometimes we really feel like we need a place that we can explore those things with a guest. And we don't really have that show anywhere on the platform where we could just say, oh, such and such is going on. We have a friend in our Rolodex, friend of the compound who is awesome on this topic. Let's get them on the show and bring our listeners in on what's going on, you know, behind the scenes or whatever. So we, we want to be able to do that. On what are your thoughts? It's Michael and I. There's not room for um, an outside guest, and that's fine. Uh, Ben's doing Ask the Compound each week. That's him and Duncan, and they're answering audience questions. Most of those questions are personal finance related. Okay, that's not going to be that show. The Compound and Friends, I already explained to you. So, like, where do we do that? So this is the answer, I think. It's, it's the Tuesday night show. There are things happening. We have really smart people that we're in contact with all the time that we can bring on and help explain. And that's what we want to do here with the Compound and Friends Tuesday night upload. So that's what this show is going to be going forward. We're still going to include the What Are Your Thoughts audio. It'll be in the back half of the show. And if you've already watched it on YouTube or you plan to, you don't have to, you know, re-listen to it, right? Or, or, or spoil it for yourself. But we're going to give you like the equivalent of a podcast preceding that on this particular feed. So this is really exciting for me. I'm so glad that we're, we're staffed up and, and tooled up in order to be able to do this. It's not easy, but it's a priority. And I think you're really going to like what the results are. So you guys have stuck with us. You've helped us grow. Downloads are going crazy. You know, everyone's listening. People stopping me on the street. They used to want to talk about CNBC. Now they're coming up to me and telling me they listen to the compound every week. It's so cool. And we're going to keep it moving. We're going to keep it rolling. I know we're making you smarter investors. I know we're helping you cope with negative headlines or not get too excited about new all-time highs or IPOs. Like I, We're trying to keep everybody just steady and consistent and on an even keel. And we're trying to demystify a lot of the week-to-week conversation that you hear others conversing in. Like this is really what I think we do really well you know, Michael, Ben, myself, and it's what we want to keep doing. So as long as you guys keep showing up, we're not going to stop. We love you. We appreciate you. Please stick with us going into 2024. And I think we're going to blow you away with the new show format on Tuesday night. Okay. That's enough housekeeping. Probably gave you more information than you needed, but that's what I am. That's what I do. All right. Tonight we have Caleb Silver on the show. Caleb is the editor-in-chief of Investopedia, which is now 24 or 25 years old. It is one of the most important websites in all of finance. It's where young people, grad students, um, you know, newer entrants into a professional career on Wall Street go to learn words. It's also where regular investors give themselves an opportunity to uh, catch up with what they hear the pros talking about. It's just an awesome resource. And Caleb does a really great job. And we're going to talk about the 10 biggest investing terms of 2023. These are not the most searched for terms because many of those carry over from one year to the next. 
These are the terms that bubbled up out of nowhere in response to something specific that took place over the course of the year. So Caleb is great. Michael and I spoke with him and you're going to love that. And then we do, what are your thoughts? Bitcoin is back. BTC USD over $40,000. What does it mean? We get into technology stocks. We get into corporate earnings. Michael and I pick a stock for uh, the Santa Claus rally and here end. What, what else did we do? Whole, whole lot of stuff. We make the case for a new name. We talk about the last jobs report, which is coming up on Friday and a lot of stuff that you don't want to miss. So stick around. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for sticking by us. Uh, we will see you soon. Welcome to The Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by Josh Brown, Michael Batnick, and their castmates are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Red Holtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Red Holtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hey, everyone. We are here with Caleb Silver. Caleb is the editor-in-chief of Investopedia an award-winning financial and investing educational website that's been around since 1999. Prior to Investopedia, Caleb was the director of business news at CNN and the executive producer of CNN Money. Michael Batnick is here as well. I'm so excited to have Caleb on because we are going to be talking about Investopedia's top terms of 2023. Mr. Silver, welcome to the show. So good to be here. Good to be back on The Compound and to see you guys. All right. Uh, we'll tell, first, let's let's talk uh, briefly about what the origin is of this list of terms. How does this work? Every year we're looking, we're, every month we're looking at what our readers are looking for. But at the end of every year, we like to see what terms or definitions or words on our website trended the most outside of their normal traffic range for the longest period of time or for a very concentrated period of time that drew kind of everybody's attention to them. So it's not the most traffic terms by Volume because those will always be EBITDA and uh, and you know <laughs> the perennials uh, sharp ratio yeah you'll always yeah, get yeah, those yeah. on Investopedia those are monsters but we're talking about the ones that really popped this year and sort of took over our consciousness and took over our readers' interests and those are fascinating because it gives you insight into what was going on at the time and why they were looking into it and I love when we do this every year because it's just like opening up the box and saying what was creeping around in the backs of our minds that made us want to learn more. Michael, we should start from 10 and count down to one, right? Uh, that's, that's smart. The, yeah. That's the right way to do this? So is one the most like newly trafficked term and 10 is lesser? Is that, yeah, is so, that right? Okay. Yeah, not, right. It's, all, it's all measured by volume, but it's not necessarily which one had the most traffic. It's the one that had the most sustained or concentrated period of traffic that drew the most eyeballs at the time. But they're all interesting in and of their own right. The top five are definitely the ones that kept popping throughout the year. And number one, of course, was the one that sort of dominated. Do you have any sense of the audience of Investopedia? I'm going to guess it's sort of all over the place, probably skewing a little bit younger. But do you, do you know what you're average sort of profile looks like? 
Yeah, absolutely. They're probably closer to your age than they are to mine, somewhere in their 40s. A lot of self-directed investors used to be more heavily male skewed. Now it's a little bit more even, probably around 60-40 uh, when you look at the, the, the composition there. But it is a lot of, again, self-directed investors throughout the United States, but we also have a big global audience. When we look at the top search terms, though, we're mostly looking at our U.S. audience. We're about half U.S., half outside the U.S. So we're talking about 13-odd million people Every month, unique visitors coming to our site looking for something. And as you guys know, not a lot of people browse Investopedia except for maybe me and maybe Ben Carlson, but uh, people come there for a reason. They're searching for something either through Google or they're coming directly and they're searching in the search bar because they have intent. They want to know something very specific. Yeah, you guys are really like a cornerstone financial industry um, site, like like uh it's it's almost like a like a staple, like something that everyone just has in their cupboard. You have to use Investopedia. If you uh, Google my, if you Google like a financial term, I feel like there's like a ninety percent chance that you click on Investopedia. Yes, link. and you're well, gonna get what the, you came for is the, the the more important part of it. Like, hallelujah! You're not well, we've been get, around since 1999. That's 24 years on the internet. That's like 240 years in real life. So right. So what I would say to Michael's point, and then when you do land there. Actually, it's a paragraph of information or more if you want more, but it's not another link to somewhere else. It's not 85 banner ads. It's it's not a video you don't feel like watching. It's the actual information, believe it or not, which is so rare these days. So I think you guys do a really great job. All right, let's start from uh, the uh, the 10th term on your list, racketeering. This is on Investopedia. Tell us That's how that right. happened. It's one of our most popular terms because racketeering, you know, is, is a group of people conspiring to do a criminal act together. But it always pops on our site every year, usually not because of financial reasons or a business involved in racketeering. In this case, it was Georgia versus President, the former President Trump, and the racketeering case brought on by Fulton County. That what drove the most interest, but there was also uh, Shine, I believe, the luxury retailer charged by some of its independent artists for racketeering, stealing some of their designs in a conspiracy they claimed. So this this word pops every single year. I think it popped last year and the year before. But the year before, it was because of the rapper Takashi Six by Six by Nine, uh, who was accused or I think charged with racketeering. It's not necessarily a finance term, but it's super popular on our site, and we have uh, pretty good search results for it, which is why it usually makes it into the top ten. Okay, uh, assumable mortgage. Where did where did this come from? I've never even heard that term before. What does it even well, mean? Well, I had to look it up too. This is people getting creative about their mortgage. This is me, if you're selling me your house, Josh, me taking on your mortgage instead of going to a lender to get my own. And with rates, mm. as you know, 30 or above 8%, people are getting all kinds of crafty about how to buy a house if they really want one. So the assumable mortgage got really popular with people looking for different ways where they could actually make that purchase because for a lot of people, we know that was out of reach. Let me read your definition. The spike in the 30-year fixed mortgage to more than 8% this year made home buying impossible for many would-be buyers. The U.S. housing market has been a deep freeze all of 2023, um, forcing that creativity. This is assume, using an assumable mortgage, effectively transferring the existing mortgage from the buyer to the seller as part of the transaction. Um, so if you you know if interest rates are going to be higher for longer, this could be even more popular in 2024. Do we know how many of these things are getting done? Yeah, I don't have the exact number, but we know thousands were done, or at least people were thinking about doing it. A lot of people to our were thinking site about it. to learn 
what they were, and then actually going off and doing it. But I would love to know the final tally. I'll get that for you next time for sure. But that's I a, would imagine, it's just interesting. Yeah, the people, banks are probably thinking about this because banks want transactions. Like, they, right. like it, everyone wants transactions, by the way. Everyone working in real estate is biased toward wanting there to be more activity, not less. So I would assume somebody will productize something where somebody is desperate enough to sell the house that they're willing to eat part of the cost of the buyer's mortgage in some part of the transaction, as long as they don't see it and feel it. So right. it's just a creative <laughs> way coming. to get it done. Okay. All right. Love it. Uh, br- this is weird. Bricks. If you and I were doing this video in 2004, I would certainly expect to see this term, but it's 2023. So why are people talking about the bricks? I think this was popping because of all the talk about OPEC and OPEC plus not taking dollars anymore, going off the dollar. I think it was because of sort of the lack of juice in U.S. Treasury bills. Our traditional buyers of those treasuries weren't that interested this year. Obviously, we had the big spike in yields. So I think this is people thinking about a new paradigm outside of the U.S., where it's Brazil, it's Russia, it's India, China, and others coming together outside of the traditional power structure of just the U.S., versus China and other countries like Europe in the middle. So I think that's what got, got people thinking about this. And when we look at when this term was trending, it was trending right around that time uh, when there was that talk of de-dollarization and OPEC and others not accepting dollars going forward. That's why this term popped. I, th- I was going to say that you maybe need to hire new engineers because your search engine is wrong. There's, nobody, any, there's no way anybody was searching for bricks, but okay, maybe they were. <laughs> maybe they were searching for terms that are on the bricks page. Is that maybe possible? they were looking for maybe they were looking for Pink Floyd, another brick in the wall. But I can tell ah, you, people were coming so to this term. These were home in a big maybe way. these were home improvements. Or, okay, uh, <laughs> Treasury bill. This makes perfect sense to me. Uh, this was the year that investors actually started to talk about Treasury bills for the first time in I don't know thirty years. Has there been a reason for anyone to search the term Treasury bill up until now in a really long time? I don't think so. No. They've been boring, and this year they were pretty exciting. And one of the most popular searches beyond the term for what is a treasury bill is, when should I cash in my treasury bill? Maybe a lot of people have those from their uh, communions or their bar mitzvahs wondering if it's time to cash in. So we have people looking all the time on Investopedia, when's the yeah. best time to actually cash in on that? To so sell a treasury bill. To sell it, yeah. Let it mature. It. It's uh, six months. Caleb, like, was there anything that you learned about T-bills that you didn't know? I feel like it's a pretty boring topic, but- given that this was the year of the of cash, anything that you didn't know before 2023? No, but it gave me a good uh, good chance to refresh who the top purchases of our, our T-bills are. And with all these new auctions coming out and all the talk about no appetite for treasury bills, it really put that into a lot of perspective for us. So I think that's why people were searching for treasury bill, not just when to cash it, when to sell it, but also what is it with this lack of appetite for what was thought of as the most important, most widely held, safest, and most trusted asset on planet Earth? I think that's being called into question. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I think that's going to be a trend, too, going forward. Debt ceiling also makes a ton of sense. Uh, yeah, I feel like this is just something service. we're going to do. Yeah, we'll do this every two or four years. Um, but the debt ceiling this year, there was a credible threat of a shutdown. Uh, we had a House Speaker roll the dice and, and actually get kicked out which I guess was one of the more notable political uh, developments, Kevin McCarthy. Uh, what else What else do you think prompted this to be such a popular term this year? 
I think it's just the circus that goes on every two to four years around this or almost every year now. Is it going to happen? What happens if it happens? What does it mean to my investments? What yeah. does it mean to the economy? People are just wondering, why do we always go through this silly exercise when we know it always ends up with us kicking the can down the road? That's why this pops up. I expect to see it again next year. Mike, you did some content on, uh, or maybe it was Ben. Uh, I get you two confused. One of us wrote something really good on our blogs about the stock market's uh, reaction to prior debt ceiling debates or or issues. Do you remember that? That's a, that was definitely a Ben thing. That I was probably Ben, right? I don't concern myself with such trivial matters. <laughs> okay. Uh, inverted yield curve. This is probably a multi-year uh, situation at this point. Last year too, I'm guessing. That's right. Okay. Right. And it was one of our readers' top picks as well. Inverted yield curve, been in this situation all year. Usually, as we know, sometimes almost always predicts a recession. We've been waiting for that recession for a really long time right now. But with people pounding the table on when's it going to happen because the, the yield curve is inverting and we had these extensive, it wasn't just the normal two and 10 yield curve. We had yield curve inversions all over the place this year. It was like a yoga studio up like, in like here. the 530s were inverted, like every, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it was like Bikram yoga all over the uh, the capital markets this year. So inverted yield curve got a lot of attention. Still in one in some places. So I expect that to continue as well. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. What's the Bikram yoga reference? Uh, just inverted yield curve reminds me of like a yoga stretch or a vinyasa flow type movement. But it really is the inversion of the of the yields of the long and the short bonds. But it makes me think it's like of an yoga. upside down, downward dog. I got it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know much about that. We, we, this is something Mike, you did write about. I think like, uh, we, we even did something. Oh, we had Campbell Harvey on who is the, the godfather of the yield curve indicator, um, who first discovered what happens after inverted yield curves. And then when they uninvert, et cetera, like we, we did that content all year, uh, because this is something that's on people's mind and anytime, People would get excited that, you know, oh, the economy's improving. You'd hear, yeah, but what about the yield curve? It's still inverted. It's been inverted. It's one of the longest inversions ever. So this is something that people are still still concerned with. And uh, it hasn't uninverted yet. Quite Like it hasn't gone all the way just yet. I know. And think about it as many times as you say it on TV or I say it on TV or you hear it across financial media. It gets people wondering what... What is this actually? Even if you already know what it is, sometimes people need to do a refresh on it, and that's why they come back to Investopedia. Okay. Certificate of deposit. I'm guessing this is because of uh, just higher short-term rates. That's right. Money in the bank this year. We had certificate of deposit was trending. Money markets were trending. High-yield savings were trending this year, but CDs definitely had the most attention put on them. And I can tell you every single day for the past eight months, there is top, the, one of the top searches and top articles on our site is, should I buy one? What's the best yield right now? Where can I get the best uh, CD right now? So a lot of people shopping for them and wondering how they work and wondering how they can fit them into their portfolio. Hey, Caleb, if we looked at, if I looked, and I'm not going to spoil anything, but if you saw the top five list that we're about to get into or that we're actually in the midst of, there's no way that you would think, yeah, S&P is probably up 20% on the year. No. No, this is a, it's people are playing <laughs> such defense this year, but yes, we're, the stock market's up 20%, which is so interesting because we think one thing, maybe we fear one thing, yet we do another. And that's just kind of been the case all year. This has been the rally people love to hate or not wanted to believe. And here we are up 20%. Right. The in NASDAQ's the up 50% and everyone's searching for CDs. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> all 
All right, let's uh, let's get into. See, I would have picked this as number one, artificial intelligence. I would imagine this is going to continue too. This probably yep. won't be off the list next year. Uh, maybe I'll be wrong. I kind of saw this coming in January and February. Um, I, I thought that this would be a really big theme for the year, and it turned out it was. Uh, yep. Tell me what. Tell me what was leading people to search for this term that landed them on uh, Investopedia in particular. Yeah, well, I think it was the year it kind of went mainstream in a lot of ways, even though it's been brewing and being developed for years and years. But this was the year decades. it kind of took yeah. center stage, decades, yeah, as you say. So I think people are looking for, this was our readers' top pick as well. When we survey our readers, we do it every two months. This was their top choice. It was the investing theme of AI and how AI stocks really broke out or AI-associated stocks really broke out. Just think of the NVIDIAs of the world or even the Palantirs of the world for a while. So there was the breakout, the investment opportunity, the ETFs around AI, but also AI touched nearly every industry that we can think of in our modern economy. Think about the, the Hollywood strike. AI was a big part of that conversation, yes. right? Think about yes. uh, a lot of the, the questions about, you know, coming back to work, the future of work, the future of employment, the future of productivity, all of it really based around what's going to happen with AI. And even in our business, in the publishing business, people thinking about chat GPT, AI, can you get your content written by a robot right now? And is it believable? So we're on the fence of, we like, as you say, you, you come to Investopedia, you find what you're looking for. That's written by real people. So this was the right, right in the middle of the conversation with so many things, but also a great investable opportunity and one we haven't seen in a long time. I think that's what was driving people to it. I feel like, Michael, what, who told us that 35% of S&P 500 earnings calls had AI mentioned? Do you remember what that was? Is that from Quarter? Maybe it was from Quarter. So we had research showing that I think 35% of all conference calls this quarter, uh, the CEO mentioned AI. It could have also come from Bank of America. They, they do charts like that. Oh, uh, maybe. Yeah, they yeah. scrape all the uh, conference call tech, uh, text. Okay. Uh, right, but also, like, this was this was crypto a couple of years ago. This was cannabis a few years ago. We get this every, sure. every few years. So this was the theme sure. this year. Maybe it's going to be the theme next year, too. Well, I think this was, like, less bullshitty than a lot of prior themes, because you and I are old enough, we remember 3D printing as like the tech theme of the year. Like we remember things that really didn't pan out. Um, so this was one of those things where, no, actually, it's like hundreds of billions of dollars being spent to modernize cloud infrastructure. It's like real. I haven't so, thought about those 3D nice. stocks. Remember, remember 3D printing, Triple D was the ticker? Um, I used to keep a list of all these like uh, buzzwords for each year. I should, I, I don't know why I stopped. So I it was 2012, was this 2012 or 2013? Let's see. I think 2012. So so the madness, so tr Triple D peaked at a $9.4 billion valuation in January I was trading that thing. Yeah, I was in it. Hell yeah. It's $740 million today. <laughs> okay. Well, artificial intelligence is not 3D printing. I think we all agree. Mm -hmm. uh, this one's not surprising. Bank failures. There must be a lot of different terms. Bank failures just being a catch-all. Um, but this was in March and April, this was the hot button topic on wall street. And it definitely carried over into main street. People have money in banks and they hear these headlines and they want to know what, how does this affect me? What do I need to know? 
Yeah, that's absolutely right. Banks are supposed to be boring, but they weren't boring this year. We had several failures, lots of threats of failure, and a lot of readers are coming to us to learn about it. But I think you're right. It's how to, is my money protected? How much of my money is protected? Do I have to go full Giannis and put my money in like 10 different banks to protect my money? What about my like investments? I think it was like 25 uh, banks or something. <laughs> yeah, right. Do you remember that? I he, forgot. He, he's a genius. He kept Green Bay in business. Um, so I think people were wondering that. And I think people became really smart about the way the FDIC works, the way treasury works. A lot of these extraordinary measures taken on by uh, secretary Yellen and the treasury department to make sure that customers remain whole here. So bank failures was a hot, hot topic, certainly back in the spring. Hopefully we won't see that again, but you never know with, uh, I actually don't think there'll ever be a bank failure again. Moral hazard. I, I you think, still it's, think it's going to be allowed to happen. Well, they didn't allow it this time. They found buyers. They did. They did um, prearranged uh, marriages for three banks, and that forestalled the need to do anything else. Now, money moves so too quickly these days. Like, yeah, banks banks can fail in twenty in twenty four hours. So they had to step in, and they did. Luckily, yeah, yeah. But I think this is the protocol now, and they are not. They are not deciding between. Oh, well, you have a balance over five million, and we don't cover that. Bullshit. Never going to do that. That's over now. So, and there was no act in Congress or anything. They just, the regulators decided it's too risky for the system to have anyone lose their money. And therefore, FDIC insurance is de facto unlimited. That's a, that's a new change that took place in our economy this year. And I think not very much remarked upon other than in that moment. People are just like, okay, that's what it is now. You see it that way? I think people just brushed over the fact that banks were failing. If you looked at bank stocks, yes, we had some big sell-offs, but then it just bounced right back. People just assumed yeah. what you said was going to happen. The FDIC is going to take care of this. They can't have banks going under. To Michael's point, money That's does right. move too quickly. Just the just the whisper of a potential bank failure or weakness, or if they ever mark to market their assets, given you know bond prices right now, they might have to go under. Just that was making people move money out of the bank or sell the stocks off. So this was one of those things they had to stop immediately, and they did. And now a lot of people got a lot smarter about the way banks work. But to your point, banks now kind of work a different way, don't they? Because they have this backstop. I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any upward limit. The other thing I want to say on this, um, and then we can move on. We were talking a lot about this in the moment, and one of the things that we, uh, one of the points that I tried to make, the FDIC is one of the few areas in government where I think everyone can agree it works really well. It's apolitical. It's effective. It's not a ton of people working there. They've never ever had a depositor lose money. Um, the insurance system. You know, they go to the banks and they say, okay, these are the new rates, uh, which, you know, uh, they obviously have no choice but to do after a year like this one. But the whole thing, it actually works pretty well. Taxpayers have never um, been on the hook for an individual depositor having a, having a problem. The FDIC has made it so that that wouldn't be uh, the situation. And I think that's like a, a positive. They don't have that same system in other countries. Uh, yeah, Mike, you want to take the last one? With, yeah, I think I, I think I think uh, the the number one item, and I'll turn it over to you, Caleb, is consistent. Unfortunately, with a lot of the themes that we've been talking about this year on the shows, which is the disconnect between how the economy is actually doing versus how a lot of people actually feel the economy is doing. So, with that, why don't you take it away? What was the number one search term? Yeah, the number one search term was the American dream, and I can tell you, as the editor in chief of Investopedia, I've been here eight years. I have never seen this pop up until this year and have the sustained interest that it had among our readers throughout the year. So 
Why were they looking at it? And what is the American dream? Well, we know what the financial services industry has kind of turned it into over the last several decades in terms of promising us the dream, the retirement dream, the family, the extra home, the vacations, the dogs, et cetera. But I think this was people coming to grips with the fact, especially younger people, that they may not be able to have, or in their minds, they may not be able to have a financial life better than their parents. They may not be able to do better. They may not be able to own a home with mortgage rates over 8%, home affordability pretty much at an all-time low or at a multi-generational low, you know, a bump in wages, but not a big bump in wages, and all the sort of the, the, the downbeat around the economy and what's happening. I think people lost sense of their ability to overcome and be, be able to have what they want, that financial freedom, the ability to build wealth for the long-term, create generational wealth. I think I really felt this, and you, when you look at who, are, who is checking this out, it's a lot of younger people concerned about this for the first time in a long time, and I think that's significant. I think there's something metaphysical about this. I actually had to look it up to see where this came from, and I, in our article, we have it. This was coined by a writer in 1931, guys, named James Truslow Adams in his book, Epic of America. Think about that. 1931, depths of the depression. This guy's writing about what that dream could be, should be. And it really was more like the Declaration of Independence that anyone living in this country should have the ability to make money and be able to live out their dreams and build a life of purpose in this country. And I think that feeling, especially by younger people, is kind of getting lost right now. Look, I think that there is some element to this being a search term also because of we had uh, a lot of immigrants come and be sent to cities like New York and end up living on the streets. And not to get into the political aspects of that, but it was, we're talking about thousands of people. We're not talking about a few dozen people and multiple cities all over the country. And whose responsibility um, are, are, are these people while they're here? And how do they get to where they got? And we saw articles in the last couple of weeks where they're going back home. And they're basically saying there's no such thing as the American dream. It doesn't exist here. Um, so, it, and, and depending on which end of the political spectrum you are, you're either discouraged by that or really happy about that. But uh, American dream is one of these things that I think um, is a little bit fungible and people can twist it to mean what they want, depending on the point they want to make. I also think, Caleb, we should point out the older millennials we're equally concerned with whether or not there'll be an American dream for them because a lot of them graduated college during or in the aftermath of the great financial crisis. And it's 15 years hence. And many of them now are in a much better position in their life. They've probably bought the home by now. They're probably entering their peak earnings years. Many of them have had children. They've discovered the stock market. We know from the data so I feel like this is something that every generation goes through. In the early days, there's always something to complain about or worry about. Right now, it's inflation and ridiculously high shelter costs. For the next generation that Googles the American dream, their concern might be something completely different. Uh, my parents' concern, it was probably being drafted to fight, fight in Vietnam. Like, you know, are we going to have our American dream or are we all going to, you know, be sent off to the jungle somewhere? So- I, th I think that this is like a recurring theme. Every generation has its time where they feel discouraged or disgruntled by the state of the nation. I know people will say, yeah, but it's worse now because blank. And I won't argue with them because I have other things to do. Um, but do you, do you agree somewhat with, with that idea? 
A hundred percent. I think it's all of those things. And I think you could be a multi-generational look at it. So people looking back and saying, I got to it. Other people saying, I'll never get to it. People just arriving here saying, what is this? But then also, Josh, think about what's happened to some of our great cities across America too, right? Uh, in terms of just going to, to a downtown and one of the major cities in America, it doesn't feel so good anymore, right? It feels like something's falling apart here. Talking about cities like, you know, San Fran, which gets plenty of bad press, even yeah. New York, right? Get, you know, we get plenty of bad press, but there is this feeling like, is this ever gonna get better? Did the last few years just take us off of any sort of a, a, a trail we were on to make things better? So I think there's some discouragement and I think there's some people actually who are thinking there's potential hope here. And we know just by folks who are investing, as you say, who are building lives and careers here, that there is still that pursuit of it. I just think I got disconnected a lot, especially in the last year. And inflation is a big part of that, particularly the housing part of it, which is the one that gets people's attention. Even if they don't want to buy a home, the notion that they'll maybe never be able to do that, I think kind of gets in their mind. Yeah. I think today's 20-somethings have a, a difficult situation they're they're facing. I don't think there's any way around that. Uh, and I think it would be unfair to act as though the rents that they have to pay, um, how out of reach it looks like to ever be able to afford a home, the credit card borrowing rates right now, um, the just the cost of living, uh, healthcare costs. It's, it's, it's daunting for this generation of 20-somethings. And I don't think anyone would say otherwise, but what would people with perspective would say is, okay, now imagine being in your 20s in the 1930s. Now imagine being in your 20s, right? So every, every generation goes through some version of this, and for some it's harder than for others. And a lot of life is the luck of the drawer and when you're born. A lot of your investing returns will depend on when you started investing, something that you have very little control over. And uh, this is part of the American dream is that there's risk. Like it's yeah, not free. Sure. And uh, maybe, that's the, maybe that's the best way to, to bring it full circle. Absolutely. Well, I, re I was just listening to a quote from Charlie Munger, rest in peace, who was talking at a recent Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting. And he said, look, if I can still be here at 90 odd years old, showing up at this meeting, surely you young people could handle a little inflation. Now, Charlie can say that, uh, but <laughs> I can't know, say that. it's he all about that. perspective. And, <laughs> and his partner Buffett always says, you'd rather be born right here in America at any time in the last 50 years than anywhere else in the world. So it depends on perspective, who you are. And if you got a few billion in the bank, it helps too. Any uh, any predictions for terms that might pop up in 2024? That's, that's a hard well, game we, to play. It's hard, but we know we got an election year coming up. So anything around what happens with the election and the stock market, I think, is going to be on people's Yeah, voter minds. fraud, you could, are, you, could take that one, you could take that one to the bank. <laughs> Someone's yeah, going to be saying that. Make, racketeering will probably make a comeback as well. I think AI will be around. Any iteration of AI you know, uh, will, will, will come up, whether it's generative AI or the new fangled AI, that'll probably pop up uh, in 2024. But hopefully we won't so see things like bank failures. And hopefully we'll get more people looking up, you know, constructive ways to build wealth and, and ways to build portfolios, even though it's good to see the banks, you know, getting some business and that there's money in the bank. That's been really important for savers of all ages, but especially older savers. Uh, I think, you know, I think our readers in general like a like a nice steady bull market. So they're pretty happy right now. And when you look at sort of the, the stocks they're looking at and what they're trading uh, and what they're investing in, and we survey them every couple of months, they are finally warming up to this rally 20% later. But in the last couple of months, certainly in the last month, getting a little bit more promiscuous with their money. Right into the top. I love it. Hey, uh, thanks so much to Caleb Silver. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. 
everyone, if you are hearing people like Michael and myself talking about terminology and jargon, and you are unfamiliar with what we're referring to, your go-to place is investopedia.com. That's where you'll find out exactly what we mean. And possibly you'll be able to come back and say that we don't know what we're talking about someday, right? So, and someday, and it, and it might not be that long uh, before you're, you're an expert too. So this is how people learn. We didn't have this when I was growing up. We have this now. It's great. Take advantage of it. Caleb, thanks so much for sharing the top terms of the year. And hopefully we'll see you next December with the 24 Vintage. Sound good? I'll come back. I can't wait. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care, guys. Thank you. Allow me to reintroduce myself. Look at this chat. Everyone's here. Can you believe it? What's with the uh, what's with the the name today? I don't I don't understand the reference. Of course You're- not. Hey, uh, let's say hello. Dave Wysocki is here. Rachel Fintwit, Chris Hayes, David Walsh, Dylan Donegan. So many new folks. And then our regulars are here: Mike, Roger Weatherford, um, Rob and Nicole are both in the chat. Dave Wilson. Shout to uh, shout to Cliff, Jerry Gould. Jay Luther, we love you guys. Hey, thanks everyone for joining us for another all new edition of What Are Your Thoughts? My name is Downtown Josh Brown. We are here with Michael Batnick, my co-host as always. Michael, say hello to the folks. What do you think? I'm workshopping that one. It was pretty good. I like the, <laughs> I like the uh, the salute. Wait, there should be like who, a thing that comes with it. Who's who's? What's Rizness? I don't understand. Is this for Rizzo? We don't have enough time in the show. We we don't have enough time in the show. I wish we did. Well, we you so can't. You tonight. can't. I mean, your references are out of control. Go talk to your kids. We'll figure it out later, guys. Uh, any anyone in the chat want to help Michael? That would really be that would be cool. Um, that'll save us some time. Okay, we have a sponsor for tonight. You want to tell everyone who the sponsor is? It's basically the Federal Reserve. Okay, say more. So the Fed has done this thing that some people like, some people don't. Investors, it's good for. They give you yield in your cash. Five point four percent for the six month right now. Not yeah. bad. I mentioned this last week or the last time that the public sponsored, but the thing that I like about public is I could see my account going up every single day. And right. Every time cycle- interest is paid, it's it's ticking higher. Yeah, but it's it's not like a lot of thing a lot of instruments distribute yield monthly, quarterly, and psychologically. I know it's all the same. I don't go to the same same destination, but I like the journey. I like the journey. Yeah. Uh public's always been good at user interface. So I agree. That's like a it's a, it's, a, it's a good reason to do your T-bills there. Go to public.com slash compound and uh, check it out. If you like it, great. I think you will. Uh, I'm a user. Michael's a user. Okay. Tonight's a big night. Uh, so much stuff is happening. I feel like things are uh, – th- th- what's the opposite of slow motion? Th- accelerating. Accelerating. Things are accelerating. There's like – you could tell. A lot of people are just trying to get news out there, just trying to get things done before year end. Uh, and one of those things appears to be the first ever spot Bitcoin ETF in the United States. It feels like there's a momentum now behind this thing, and it's like a fait accompli. It's only a question of what the first ticker is going to be, how many get done, what is the, uh, you know, what's the the timetable on the the actual launch. I don't think there's any debate anymore whether I have two or not we're going to get you. a Bitcoin ETF. I have two questions for you. 
One yeah. is will the approval be a local top? I mean, you got to assume that there'll be some sort of sell the news. I don't know how dramatic the sell the news will be, how long it'll last. Uh, but I want your thoughts on that. Uh, actually, you know, I want your thoughts on that. Before I have two questions, but I want your thoughts. Okay, so the last big event like this that everyone knew was coming was the advent of a futures-based, uh, or the advent of Bitcoin futures trading in Chicago on legitimate CMA. exchange. So it was CME and CBOT. They both had their own version. Okay. I, I'm pretty was sure. This, was this 2019 or 17? Late, late 17. It was, the, it was literally the top. Basically, mm. Bitcoin was a one-way market. You could either buy it not, or not buy it. Like you could sell it, but you couldn't short sell it is what I'm trying to say. All of a sudden, when the futures uh, became available, large hedge funds, large prop traders, professionals were able to do what's called price discovery euphemistically. They were able to come in and short it if they thought it was overvalued. And of course they did. And the rest is history. It took, uh, I don't know, five years for Bitcoin to get back to those levels. And I don't know that this has to rhyme. This has to be the same scenario. I think the answer to your question, will it represent a top? Tell me how much more Bitcoin rallies between now and when the first product trades. Right. And yeah. like the more it rallies, the more I'm going to feel like, well, this is it. Every schmuck is in. So I do hope it can get into the, the 50s or 60s. I'm not rooting against it. I, I, still, think it's, I still think it's like not, not as interesting as the crypto people think it is. Um, but it'll be really nice for this marketplace to have a big liquid vehicle to get exposure without the risk of scams and frauds and being stolen from and huge discounts to NAV and all of the f***ed up things about crypto. Like, I feel like the ETF solves a lot of these issues for the SEC. Uh, I know three years ago, it didn't seem like that. It was like, oh, if we let them do an ETF, it's gonna legitimize this, this shit. That that hor those horses have already bolted the barn. Now this is about investor safety. So if people are going to do Bitcoin, I like them being able to do it in a brokerage account. I like them being able to do it via Fidelity and BlackRock. I'm a traditionalist. What can I tell you? Before I get to the second part of the, the second part of this question, when when Bitcoin futures were listed on the CMA, uh, and there was a run up into that. Yeah. The difference, the obvious difference, and there are many between now and then is, yeah, that did legitimize the asset class in a certain way. You can't, you can't argue with it. Now with the spot Bitcoin ETF approval, which is, as you said, it's a fait accompli at this point, um, there will be, there's no doubt, tens of billions of dollars will flow into these ETFs. The question is how many tens of billions, right? I so we know that- I said a hundred billion, dude. I, I did too, like but after talking to Baltunas, that's not going to happen. GLD is like- 60 or something. I don't know what the number is, but well, do, I have it might, time, it, do I have a time? It might get there. It, no, I'm saying it might get there, but it's not going to happen in the first, first say, uh, you know, 30 days, what, whatever. But the other, the other thing is that I want to ask you is this, uh, the order with which the SEC allows these things to, to list, is it going to be, okay, these 10 issuers. And I think we have a chart later in the doc. Is it going to be the 10 issuers at once? Is it going to be a sweeping approval or are they going to play favorites and say, BlackRock first, Grayscale, back back of the line. <laughs> it would be really funny if they approved three of them and then and then gave Grayscale the nod to convert. That'd be really fucked up. Uh, like like a month later, the game would already be over. Guess what? Grayscale Grayscale made this happen. Like they sued the SEC and won. Uh, yes. I I think uh, I think it had to, somebody had to really force the issue. 
they really had, I, look, I, I respect the Grayscale people, of course, and the DCG people. And um, I think when we look back, we'll say, all right, they had a shitty product, but at least they had a product. No one else did. The fees were really high. The discount to NAV was really treacherous, but they like kept going when a lot of people would have given up at great personal peril. They're all suing each other. Like it's kind of messy, but you're right. Like I think like somebody had to do it. Uh, being a first adopter in finance or being a pioneer, I should say, not an adopter, but being like somebody that invents the new thing, it's really, really tough um, because of how regulated finance is, especially if you launch a product and you act as though you're outside of the bounds of finance for the first few years. Like you're not going to make any friends and they definitely did not. So it's a, it's a crazy story. We'll see how it winds up. What's the latest that you're hearing about the timing on a Bitcoin spot ETF? Is this like Monday or by the year end? What are people saying? I heard whispers. I had a few phone calls today about January. I don't know. I, I mean, obviously, I don't have any inside information. But I don't we're know. We're in some sort of specific window now that, like, there's a time limit on this. So James Seifert and uh, Balchunas and whole Bloomberg crew and, and Nate Karasi are doing incredible work on some of the amendments and different filings. Yeah. And this one is this table is a bit dated, um, but it just shows. And uh, this was as of, I don't know. As of September, I mean, there's like almost 15 companies that are in the process for applying for approval. Some so of these have already been denied, though, right? And then they many refile times. many times, yeah, many yeah, times, yeah. many times. Right. Some of them so are the like in purgatory or okay. The question is when. The other question is like, you're right, Josh, to ask. Tell me what the run up is to the approval. Yeah. Right. And so once we get, once, once the SEC gives the green light, I don't know how this process works. Is it like, okay, we're good. We start trading on Monday. Like, I don't know how long a time, how long the window is between the approval and the listing. So this, what's interesting about this is, you know, that all the infrastructure is already lined up because they've been trying to get this done for years. So they have authorized participants that are going to handle the underlying, like trading the underlying, making the baskets. So you, you know, all that stuff is ready to go. Um, the TV commercials are probably already scripted. So oh, it's, done, it's, done. Yeah. So I, I feel like, I feel like this kind of thing, uh, this kind of thing is like, it's been so telegraphed and it's been so long. It'll probably come quickly. It's, it's not like, uh, they'll get an approval and they'll wait a month and try to figure things out. They're, so how do you they're think, dying how do you, to do this. How, how do you think this plays out? Like, so, uh, Balchunas posted this today. Um, Grayscale hired John Hoffman. He was the former head of Invesco's USDTF business. You don't need to throw this on the, on the screen, John, um, to help lead distribution uh, and fight in what is going to become, and here's the key part for me, an epic marketing war. There is going to be, <laughs> pick a number, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, vying for these assets. How do you think this shakes out? I'm guessing you think that just BlackRock just wins? Uh, yes. I think BlackRock wins. Fidelity probably too. Because it's going to be, it's not a marketing war. Just drop the price and you'll raise the money. There's no, a Bitcoin ETF is a Bitcoin ETF. There's not, there's, there's no need. First of all, there's no need for 13 of these. Um, but I get it. Who knows who's going to win? So just launch it. See, see what happens. Like Kathy Wood has a horse in the race. Maybe, maybe she gets 50 million bucks in it. And then why not keep it open? What is the real cost? Listen, not, you know not I mean? exactly. This is not an apples to apples comparison. That being said. 
How many S and P five hundred ETFs mutual funds? No, are there? no, no, no. Commodity, commodity. You said it right before. You got GLD and and what's the other one? XAU. I I I A U. I A U. Enough. That's it. Um, commodity oil. You got USO. I don't know. Maybe there's one or two others. Yeah, that's a good um, point. Because this is a commodity. Now it's a useless commodity uh, with no underlying value or use case. But still, it's a commodity. How is the it price useless? Is based the price, on the price. The price demand. is now the price is forty four thousand dollars. How is it useless? That's how much it's worth. Oh, uh, what is it useful for? Do we want to do this now, or should we keep moving? The price is forty four thousand dollars. What do you do with it besides trade it? What do you do with gold? That's not relevant. I'm saying the price is forty four. You make jewelry. You make jewelry. Do you want to keep going? The price is forty four thousand dollars. Yeah, I know that doesn't make it not useless. They sold at, at art at a at a at an art art fair in Miami five years ago, four years ago. They sold. They duct taped a banana to the wall and sold it for ten million dollars. What if useless. what if what if Bitcoin has no use case other than as an asset class? Great. Would that make it useless? It. Have fun. I don't care. Uh, listen, I like it. I I like it as a trading vehicle. I think it's. Fun to watch. I've been fascinated by this market for uh, yeah, almost yeah, six yeah, years yeah, now. You, you kind of sound, you don't say you like it. You're, you're allowed to say how you feel. No, I don't like investing in it. I like that it exists. I think it's fun. I, it doesn't affect me. I, I, have some, I have some dollars in it. I expect to never see them again. I hope to be wrong. I hope to be surprised. So what do you- Keep what in you mind. Th- yeah. Keep in mind. I was one of the first financial advisors in the world to buy it and publicly say, I just bought Bitcoin. True. I bought it at $3,000. I wrote a huge blog post about it. I took a lot of shit from people. True. My only argument for buying it was they can't kill this thing. How could you not pay attention to something that rightfully should have died five times? That was it. I don't know anything about blockchains. It's not important. doesn't matter to me. So I'm still, I still own Bitcoin. Great. Hope it works. Okay. Um, you want to do anything about you, you want to talk about how about the implications? For well, Coinbase? I wanted, to, yeah, because I wanted to go through some of these charts really quickly, because this is fa- again, it's fascinating. It's investor behavior. It's speculation. It's action. It's sex. By I the way, now this. sex. Now the price is forty four thousand. The ch- the chart on screen. All right, is I'm bullish now. <laughs> the, ch- uh, <laughs> the chart on screen is, <laughs> is forty one thousand. I forget everything I said. It's going hard. All right. Well, I'll put that chart back up. This is just year to date. This thing's, what is this up? 150%? Bang. Next chart, five year. Up 1,020%. It had an, it had an 80% drawdown. That's part of the, this is part of the asset. That's part of the deal. If you're in this, this is what it is. Next. I was talking, wait, I was talking with Ben about this today. It's just so crazy. Like this is not just how the Bitcoin market works. because It's just how markets work how markets bottom. And it doesn't matter if the market is Bitcoin or stocks or anything. Like literally the FTX implosion was the actual bottom. How crazy is that? If you bought Bitcoin- Same as the stock market. Yeah, same as the stock market. When the news yeah, is darkest. You're right. You're right. Like, oh, it's going to zero. No, actually this is the bottom. Dude, Fucking Facebook crazy. blowing up in the fall of uh, 2022 was the, the bottom for FANG, for tech stocks. It's, it's so true. More charts. It's, it's just like stocks, more charts. This is, uh, what is this, three month? This is so, just, this, yeah, it's wild. It's up 60% in three months. Yeah. I mean, this, uh, is, this is, ladies and gentlemen, this is Bitcoin. Next chart. So you might say it's useless, whatever. Uh, the oh, ad- no, it's so useful. I'm using ad- it right now. Address, 
The orange line is, uh, the black line is the price and the orange line is addresses with more than 0.1 Bitcoin. And this is, this doesn't really, doesn't really follow price that much. It's just up and to the right. That's interesting to me. Like the, Listen, the, I, the, I, I, the holders are growing regardless. Is that what I've said saying? it before. I've said it before and I'll say it one more time. One of the, one of the, the thesis, investing thesis that really clicked for me. I don't remember when Bill Miller said this in, in an interview with Barron's. He said of Bitcoin, the supply is increasing by 2% a year, roughly. Do you think demand will increase slower or faster than that? And I said- Well, last year, slower. Slower. <laughs> I said, no, but, but, that, but, but that chart shows it. Like, this guy's smart. Um, Christopher Brown, not related to me, is in the chat saying schmuck insurance. That's the yes. way I view this. And you, Michael, you said this before I did. It's like- I own this because, God forbid, everyone that's been talking about it actually is right. I will want to kill myself. So I spoke and I about, agree with that. Take. I spoke about this with Animal Spirits with Ben. I am no fan of the Bitcoin mentality. It oh, seems a bit anti everything that I'm that I'm about. But the idea that this thing could go to one hundred thousand dollars or whatever, I would have jumped right out the window. And so, in order to protect me from turning into a really angry person for no reason. I bought. That was that was that was why I bought initially. FOMO. It's. I mean, it's it's a FOMO hedge. I I have FOMO, and so yeah, I, I protected it. myself for myself. Uh, let me give myself a bit of a pat on the back. A bit of a pat on the back. So I did ten predictions for twenty twenty three, and God knows not all of them came true. But one of them, like for example, uh, value oh, from growth you. again. You did. That didn't you come did true. say that. Look at you. So so here's what I wrote. So Bitcoin gains one hundred percent. I wrote. This is January 2nd. I wrote, and Bitcoin, I don't know what the price was at that point. It was low. I said, it's hard to make the bull case for an asset class that feels like it comes with career risk. With all the negativity surrounding the space right now, I'm amazed that Bitcoin isn't below 10K. And maybe that's what the bulls can hang their hat on. This seems like the most improbable prediction on this list and one that few are positioned for. Crypto will double in 2023. Put that back up. What a shame. Right after that, you said energy stocks continue to outperform. Worst performing sector of the year. All right. Well, uh, wait, 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 wait. I, also said, I also said gold makes a new all-time high. Yeah. Good for Not you. Not terrible. You got it. Not terrible. You got it. And all right. I'm just market, market gained double digits. That was a good call. Mark, stocks avoid recession. Good call. Huh? No. Listen. All right. Let's, let's move on. Oh, let's move on. Coinbase quickly. Oh, yeah. Coinbase. I got this one really wrong. At 30 bucks, I was like, it's worth 10. It's going to, it's, you said, no, I, think, I believe you said- I think it's going to zero. I said I hope it goes to zero. Uh, <laughs> I, I really, th I really thought it, it could be single digits. Oops, it's about a hundred and forty dollars stock now. Do I have that right? This is why I don't short. This is why I don't short stocks because I get emotional, and uh, I, I don't know. Like, what do you think happens when the ETFs come out? Isn't that no. isn't that competition no. for coin? Isn't no. that competition no. for Coinbase? Yes, I, I know. know they're the custody. Blah blah blah. I no, understand it's, all it's, that. It's, I'm not even forget about that angle, which yeah will be a source of revenue for them. Guess what? Guess what, dude? The ETF trades from nine to four. Like yeah. institutional investors want to trade when they want to trade forever, and they're and, trade coin, there. and they're going to trade I at buy, Coinbase. It's, it's 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 the trusted brand in the industry. So. What's good for Bitcoin, what's good for crypto is good for Coinbase. It just is. So is, well, is the ETF going to attract a different set of users that won't use Coinbase? Sure. But that's bullish for Coinbase too. Yeah, people like me where it's like, all right, I, I, don't, I don't need to trade this thing. I'll just own a little bit. I get it. Like if, if it goes up, there's probably other coins that go up more. I really don't care. Like I'm the, I'm the perfect user of the ETF 
And uh, I actually liquidated my Coinbase account. And uh, I'm only invested via the, the index thing. Um, so I, I, I could literally care less about uh, Coinbase at all. But I got, I got that one wrong. Okay. Uh, you're up next. Okay. What are we doing? Uh, this is one of the things that wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> the idea that the Fed is going to jack rates from 0 to 5%. And I know we've spoken about this before, but it really bears repeating. So forgive me. But I can't help it. Uh, and overall corporate debt interest payments were going to go down, not just go down, plummet to mm. a 40-year low. So the chart that we're looking at here is, yes, interest rates are over 5% or five plus. However, as I've mentioned many times, 90% of the debt in the S&P 500 is, is fixed long-term. So it doesn't matter what the Fed's funds rate is because they locked it in in 2021. Yeah, they crazy. They, they gorged on cheap debt. And so what's happening, the reason why this chart is going down, why the borrowing costs are going down when they're going up is because all of the cash is now earning a significant return that outstrips the borrowing costs. It's crazy town. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the literal inverse of what historically the Fed has had in mind when it's tightened policy, raised interest rates. They expect companies to be not in worse shape, but less willing um, to, to do things. That's not going to be the case here when companies have locked in two and 3% borrowing rates, and now they're earning 5% on their excess, uh, reserves of cash. It's just, it's not going to work that way. I was talking with Alex, Alex Morris of FM investments today. And this sounds incredibly obvious that I was almost like embarrassed to have this realization dawn on me that take like Microsoft or or any, any investment grade bond for that matter. The relative attractiveness of those bonds is much higher today than it was when they issued those bonds. Microsoft mm. was issuing bonds at like 3% or whatever. And just because of prevailing interest rates today, the prices went down to reflect new interest rates. Did Microsoft's fundamentals go down? Are those bonds any less secure today than they were when they issued them? Of course right. not. You're getting the same bond, it's the same company, yeah. bonds at better prices. It's it's really, this was not supposed to happen. Right. It's just it's the, everything. It's upside down world. It's it's yet another, it's yet another ripple effect of how bizarre the pandemic era, economy and market situation was. It's like one one more ripple from that period of time. We're like still experience. It's almost like the timeline broke and we're on an alternate timeline. I don't know if you watched uh, Loki season two. It's like the the time variance authority just lost lost control. Uh, I fully disavowed. Marvel, yeah. but how is Loki season two? I mean, yeah, exactly. I, okay. I like I like the actor, uh, Tom Hiddleston he's great. He's or great. something. Is yeah, Owen Wilson great, still in it? So. It's only six. Yeah, Owen Wilson I like too. It's only six episodes. I I, I powered through. What's I this chart from? I wouldn't recommend it. Okay, from Ed. Well, this is, this is what you're, this is part of the story. The bond market's risk on party is visible in the narrowing yield spread between high yield corporates and 10 year treasury bonds. No it stress. has it's it's not supposed to do this. It has dropped from four five hundred sixty four basis points on March twenty fourth, during the height of the banking mini panic, to four hundred and twelve basis points on Friday. You're not supposed to be tightening rates all year, and have and have a narrowing yield spread like this, uh, between junk bonds and ten year treasuries. It's uh, it's 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 Meshuggah. Put and that chart back on. I got to say something. 
Go. If I, if somebody asked me, if I had one chart, seriously, I, I haven't yeah. really given this a lot of thought, but if I had one chart, if somebody said to me, hey, I'll give you one chart for you to determine uh, the state of the economy, what would it be? It might be this one. Don't high, give me high, high yield minus 10 year treasury yield. Really? Just corp, just spreads, corporate spreads, spreads. whether it's yeah. high yield or, or corporate or whatever. Don't tell me about the chart off. Don't tell me about leading economic indicators or, index. I, or ISM or any of that shit. Tell me what the bond market is doing. Tell me what spreads are doing, what the actual money is doing relative to the treasuries. That's all. That's, that's it. That's all you need to know. Now, is it right? That, all I of, hate that idea. Is it right all of the time? Does it see every recession or coming? Of course it doesn't. But I'll take that over opinions 10 days of the week. Show us the next chart. This is yours. Okay. Uh, our boy, Urian Timmer. What will the Fed do next? No one knows for sure, but the higher for longer trade has been a crowded one, which could explain the 72 basis point reverse on the two-year yield. So if you look at a chart of, of yields, they're coming in pretty, pretty significantly. And as always, I know we joke on the show, but it's true. Positioning really matters. Positioning. Positioning really matters. And so the short uh, rates trade or the shorts price trade, excuse me, the higher for longer rates trade got incredibly crowded and that's unwinding now. Um, yeah. And somebody said we did that thing with uh, Caleb yesterday, the 10 biggest financial terms of the year. How come positioning didn't make the top 10? Don't you feel like that's that was missing? Like how much how much did, time did we spend well, talking about positioning? Were people not positioning? Googling? Is it's not a search term. They didn't hit. All right. So when you search positioning, you don't hit Investopedia for it. You you know what? You know I you, I went to shout to Caleb. I went to Investopedia today. You know why? Why? What did I Google? I Googled. Uh, I think I Googled what is it? What's the term of it? Uh, the nineteen B four. It's like it's the some sort of amendment. Nineteen before, it's like some sort of some sort of SEC filing, something or the other. Oh, I, I don't even know what that is. So what exactly? What'd you, what'd you find? I, I don't understand this. <laughs> so you read it, in, you read it and left, and, and you shared this with us, and you still don't know. All right, I challenge you to pick one stock for year end. I love this stuff. It really forces you to think inside the box. Like, you know what's what? The most obvious thing you have because it's what is it? December fifth. You have like. 25 days left, 26 uh, market date, not even 26 market days, 26 calendar days. What's the most likely thing to rip? So, so you, okay, mine, okay, but, but that's yours. very important. That's a, I, I wanted to talk to you about this. The way that you ask the question is very important because if we're just shooting for the moon, like literally pick the stock that is going to have the most, the highest returns and you're not penalized if you're wrong on the downside, like are there risk adjusted parameters? You know what I mean? Ooh. Like, because that would, I didn't, that, I didn't take it that deeply, but. That would, have, that would have changed my answer dramatically. So why don't you go first and then I'll go second. I picked Robinhood. And to be very clear, the show is not disseminating financial advice to anyone. And I am not personally doing this trade. But if somebody said, pick a stock that could rip into year end, I think like the, the runway is greased for Robinhood to work. It's, uh, do we have like a chart? We have a chart of this? It's 10 and a half bucks. It's the spike has started. It had an increase in short interest uh, month over month. Um, it's heavily involved in this crypto shit. Like crypto is really important to yeah. Robinhood's uh, business. Yeah. And I don't see any reason why this couldn't get to 12 or 13. I totally if crypto agree. trading volumes come back, you have 28 million shares short as of November 15th. Let's assume a whole bunch of those 
might want to cover if it gets to 11. It could get to 12 with its eyes closed. Percentage-wise, Dude, here, it could get there tomorrow. Josh, it was, tomorrow. Up, it, was, it was up 10% today on monster volume. Yeah. And a lot of that had to be short covering. So, in fairness, I, I put this in the dock earlier today, so I deserve whatever move it made today. So, I <laughs> This is a great pick. It. I won't take it. This is it, a great pick. So in my defense, what I'm about to say, I gave this very little thought, okay? I, uh-huh. I had a very busy- we, we always appreciate when you do that. <laughs> I had a very busy day, uh, but what I came up with was DraftKings. Uh, and Where is that? I don't even there's, know. I don't even know There's two reasons is. why. It's got phenomenal momentum. Oh, it has shit. Like, Look at this. This is, this is, has this tripled this year? So it's not like, like if you look at a chart of Uber, which all credit to you, Josh, at this point, Uber has gone vertical. Like it's yeah. not, it's like, it's so far stretched above any sort of smoothing average. You know what I mean? Yeah. I really like the momentum of DraftKings and not that fundamentals matter even a little bit. Not um, for the next 26 days, no. But, but just in order to explain the move, I thought this was kind of interesting. So in their investor day uh, presentation, they shared that the the acquisition costs of these customers was astronomical, right? Caesars and FanDuel and DraftKings were just spending oodles of money in in uh, 2020, I guess, in particular. And uh, it takes a while for these customers to pay them back, obviously. So in acquisition year, uh, from year one, it's almost a break-even. Uh, and then in year two, it gets a little bit better. The profits- and now they're starting year- to make money on all these So, so here, so, so, excuse me, I'm one of those schmucks. Sorry. Nope, actually I use FanDuel. I'm a FanDuel schmuck. Uh, next chart, please. So this this chart corroborates what we're looking at as free cash flow. I'm sure that they did whatever they could to get lean, but they were just hemorrhaging money to the tune of almost almost a billion dollars a quarter. And those losses have shrank dram- dramatically. Again, not that this matters for the next 25 days, but that's how we got here with DraftKings having a really kick-ass year. I think if, if, if we're saying like a year-end rally, you got to just look at the momentum that, that the stock has, which this one does, and the short interest and just let nature take its course. And one thing that I like uh, in addition is that it, it, it just it pulled back a little bit from its highs, just a little bit. So I, I like the setup going into year-end for DraftKings. A little, a little bit? A little bit. Just a little uh, bit. Jerry Gould points out we both pick gambling stocks. True. True. Good point. Um, one thing on uh, uh, DraftKings that I think is kind of interesting Basically, like online um, online sports betting, like is the support structure for the entirety of the podcast business. Like every podcast I listen to is being sponsored by gambling uh, sports gambling apps. It's like the only game still in town. All that other shit went away. Like we'll send you meal ingredients, gone. Uh, you know, what was that like company? Other- what were the meal companies? There was one big one. Blue Ribbon or? Blue Ribbon. Oh, Blue, Blue Apron. Basket. Blue Apron? Blue Apron. Yeah. Well, right now, right now it's it's Caesars or it's DraftKings or it's FanDuel. And they're sponsoring like stand-up comedian. They don't even care. They're just spraying. How come they're not getting got, any of that money? I got hosed last night. I uh, I money lined the, the Jaguars with a million different props. It was, it was, uh, it was a tough loss. Hey. You win some, you lose some. Tough beat, tough beat. Uh, prayers right. up for Trevor Lawrence. What do you want to say right. about the not the tech bubble? Uh, all right. Who, who tweeted this? Daily chart book. This is from Bank of America. All right. Using price to earnings ratios as measuring sticks, each magnificent seven stock would have to rise by 55% without any change to earnings for the group to reach just half of the peak valuation of the largest seven tech stocks of the tech bubble. Ooh, look at this. Yeah, so you could make some comparisons, but some just fall right apart. 
You know what I mean? What do you think? Uh, I don't know. I, sh- I struggle with where this goes from here. Like, it obviously is not sustainable, right? False. Is Shut off. Like, this can really keep going when, for another year. You think 2024, the AI, the AI bubble is going to burst? It just started. And I hesitate to, use, to say to, to call it a bubble. The AI hype. No, but they could just have a new group of stocks to take over. Nah. Like you, you could. You really no, we could don't do that, that anymore. It's just the winners win. Yeah. No, but there are other winners. There are stocks that are up 100% this year that are just not MAG7 stocks. Can't those keep getting bigger? There are cybersecurity stocks that have doubled, like five of them. There are, um, there are communications stocks that have doubled. They're just not MAG. But like they could... They could outpace these stocks. I'm toying with the idea of throwing this in my 2024 predictions. I don't know if I'm getting too cute. What if 2024 is the 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 revenge of the uh, the revenge of the nerds equal weight style? I'm toying with the idea of having Sean do like the next seven uh, tech stocks that are behind these, and like we st- we start tracking those because those are going to be more interesting. Like the ones that made it there. I think like Adobe's on that list and Salesforce and. I'm trying to think of what else would be big enough. We'll, we'll, we'll table that for another time. What's this next chart? Uh, all right, this is great from Ned Davis. The largest 10 stocks by market cap. Mm. It's showing the year-over-year year, year earnings growth uh, versus the S&P 500. And what's, there- what's the, what's the bottom pain? The difference between earnings and sales growth for the top 10 stocks. So oh my God. I think the blue line is the top 10 stocks by market cap. Yeah. Uh, actually, you know what? That's a good question. Don't worry about it. Don't, don't worry about it. It says it, it's earnings, pure earnings. And Sharp the bottom is minus the, the S&P 500's right, right. earnings. Yeah. So the top is pure and the bottom is relative. And yeah, they're... Listen, speaking about NVIDIA, the company is in a new generational defining category. Yeah. It's growing sales 100% year over year and 35% quarter over quarter. Yeah. What should the stock what have should done it, this year? What should the what should the multiple be for that? <laughs> should it be down? <laughs> and it's not the multiple is actually down. The multiple right, is actually right. down this year. How about that? What's literally, forward earnings? Literally. What's forward earnings for Nvidia? Is it forty? Does that sound crazy? No. Not to no, me. I don't think so. I don't, what, you think I don't it's lower? Even think it is. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Somebody in the chat could tell us. All right. I want to keep moving. I wanted to just mention Uber. There's nowhere. I don't really have a natural place to to put this. I I put this on LinkedIn today. I feel like Dara has just orchestrated um, maybe one of the greatest corporate turnarounds of the 21st century. And there have been a few. Like like Netflix is definitely in the conversation. I think Meta over the last year, Tesla. I hated hated bankrupt. I hated Uber. Um, I bought it. I bought it wrong. I bought it in 2020. I bought it in... I bought it like near the near the old IPO era highs, and then I sat with it for years. But then I started to buy more, so it, it ended up turning into a winner. But I was down bad in this stock for a minute. And well, guess what? what? The company did, the company the company was down bad. It was yeah, hemorrhaging it wasn't my fault. money. It was, was it was blameless. hemorrheaging money, and he came I was in. Blameless in this situation. There, there should be like CEO of the year, like a turnaround turnaround. Right, dude, uh, not awards. only did he come in, he came into a scandal ridden situation where the founder was out of control. He was tracking female journalists using God mode and watching them take Uber rides. It was like so crazy. 
And they had to get rid of this guy. He was toxic. They brought in Dara. Dara had the experience. He had worked under Barry Diller and at some very big uh, internet properties. I think Expedia is where he cut his teeth. They brought him in. He inherited a mess. The company was losing billions of dollars. They had poor relationships with the drivers. They had lawsuits and fights with municipalities and state governments and country governments. They had all these non-core assets in China that they were losing their ass in. He had all of that to clean up in his first three or four years. And then when everyone said, get rid of Eats, the pandemic happens. Eats saves the company because there was no rides. And then they come out of the pandemic and effectively, people say they will never be profitable. They're profitable on both Eats and rides. And it smashes through a $100 billion market cap. Like nobody in their right mind would have expected this outcome, I, I don't think, in like 2018, 2019, mm-hmm. when this stock was in the 20s. And then the pandemic, you would have thought it's going to zero. So he really, I think, is like an unsung hero of our era. And guess and what? deserves look, a lot more credit than he's getting. Look at the chart of Lyft. Yeah, oh, right. Lyft, that's, Lyft is dead. Lyft is dead. It's not like Lyft is winning too. They're dead. Yeah, that's the alternate reality. Lyft, which the founders ran for way too long, ran poorly, didn't make any of the moves that Uber made. That's the other way that this could have gone easily. So now the reason I'm bringing it up is they got on Friday, they got the word that um, Uber's going into the S&P 500, which is a really big milestone for a company. That that, was known. No, everyone knew that's in part why it's been running up. It's a really big milestone, though, for a company that – was losing money when it came public. I think it lost a record amount of money the year it came public. Nobody ever came public with a bigger per share loss than Uber. And uh, that was then, this is now. One so. one final thing for me on Uber is that Dara was the first CEO that I can remember to come out and say, okay, new rules. Yeah. Wall Street, it's like what Wall Street wants. Uh, they don't early. want to- and they don't want us losing money anymore. And he and he he did it. He really did it. So all credit to him. And he did it early. And it's not and, a social network. It's and, an expensive business to to cut costs in. And credit to you <coughs> for buying the stock. I am a genius. <clears throat> okay, uh, that'll that'll offset some of my. Uh, By the way, this, it's got ideas. It's got, it's got that's a top for Uber. So, okay, uh, the last BLS non-farm payroll report of the year is on Friday, and. I think this one's interesting. So here's why. If you ask me to reverse engineer why we just had the best November or one of the best stock market months of all time, November or otherwise. Positioning? I would, no, I would say the October jobs report, which we got on November 3rd, which was a Friday, that sparked it. So we sold off all through October. Markets were a mess. August, September, October, an absolute mess. Actually, all three major averages were down for Q3. And then we get this super moderating jobs report on November 3rd. And stock, I don't think stocks even had a down day. <laughs> Dude, all, all kidding aside. crazy what Q3, happened. Q3 was, the, 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 the summary of the quarter was higher for longer. Like that was yeah. the narrative of the third quarter. And that got unwound to Urian's point really quickly. And it manifested itself, not just in the bond market, but really in the stock market. People were not positioned for that. 
So now we're looking for November non-farm payroll to be at around 180,000 jobs added. This is now we're firmly, if that happens, now we're firmly under 200,000. Of course, we've seen these numbers be all over the map. And the other thing to keep in mind why there's going to be some drama is that uh, it, there's a lot of holiday-related seasonal hiring that takes place during the month of November. Uh, so we really don't know exactly what the effects will be on this specific number. You got auto worker strikes. You got a lot of stuff going on. Um, but I think that moderation in the job market that we found out about in early November sparked a huge 9% S&P rally, 11% NASDAQ rally. And this, uh, if, you, if you ask me like, all right, the Fed has its last meeting. It's on uh, December 13th. There's only one CPI report left this year. It's the day before, the 12th. The PCE is after the Fed's meeting. So just let's just say it doesn't matter for this meeting. If the Fed does nothing on December 13th, it'll be the third month in a, uh, the third meeting in a row where it's done nothing. If anything could make them hike, I think it's what we're about to see on Friday. Like if that's a crazy report and it goes the other way than what we expect, um, unemployment rate drops or weight or wages spike or there's some huge beat to the upside, then we're back to talking about one last rate hike. Right now, 99.7% odds of no hike, according to uh, the CME's FedWatch tool. This is, to me, the only economic data point we're going to get that could conceivably change that. And that's why I think it, it's going to be interesting. Did you see the jolts number today? Mm -mm. Told okay. you, I was very, very busy day. We got the October, uh, we got the October um, available jobs uh, 8.7 million. Look how fast this is coming down. Remember that was 12 million and people were like, what the f yeah. It's coming down real fast. So there are 1.3 jobs available for every unemployed person right now, which is still a pretty good job market. It's just, it's cooling. And this is the lowest number of job openings in a month that we've seen since March of 2021. So this is a notable retracement of the labor market madness, which bodes very well for future inflation prints, in my opinion. What do you think about that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know at this point where a spike would come from. I don't think you're going to get a spike. Like I, I think, I think now we just normalize. Uh, there probably were never 12 mil million real openings. Those were that was probably never a real number. Speaking of retracement, the AAII bear index, just the bear, the four-week change, bears ran into their cave to the levels that we haven't seen since 2009, since the bottom of 2009. How crazy is that? Yeah. Well, that happens again, again, six weeks ago, things were looking pretty dicey. Higher for I longer. We, we closed yeah. below the 200-day moving average. Like Things were not looking great. I told you about that guy I ran into at the gym. He's like, I'm, sh I'm shorting rallies. I'm like, really? It's December. You really want to do that? All right. Uh, let's, let's do these charts really quickly from the Wall Street Journal. Signs of a weakening job market in five charts. This is job openings and the unemployment level. The unemployment level, you can see, is gradually rising and openings are falling. This is ex exactly Wait, what, what is a this? moderating oh, hang, job hang market on, hang should on. look like. Oh, this is millions. I'm sorry. I saw the five and I thought, I thought percent. Okay, it's, it's nope. number of, okay, got it. This is actual number of people. Next chart, this is important. These are quits. 
and higher rates. In October, the quits rate held steady at 2.3%, but it's been trending down since hitting 3% in April 2022. In April 2022, basically, everybody's quitting their jobs and getting instant raises. That's not what's going on. Next chart. This is just non-farm payrolls, what we were talking about. They're showing the estimate at 190. I read 180. Split the difference. Uh, Keep in mind... We were doing 400,000 jobs a month in 2022. In 2021, we were adding 600,000 jobs a month, obviously skewed by the comps from the pandemic. So now we're under 200,000, they think. Next chart. This is hourly wage growth. This is a big one. This is important, right? It was was the wage price spiral. That was like the thing that people were understandably rightfully concerned about. Like that was the the big risk and it didn't materialize, thank God. 5.2%. Hourly wage growth in October. We're about to find out what November's is, and uh, that'll be important. Uh, I think this is my last one. Yeah. Finding a job gets harder. The journal says the unemployment rate remains very low. Economists estimate it held, estimate it held 3.9% in November, but it has risen a half percentage point since the spring. Such an increase usually comes right before a recession. Okay, slow down. Um, but this is the, I think... Americans have been applying for continuing unemployment benefits the most at the at the highest rate in about two years. So like people aren't getting a job so fast. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? I'm not saying it right, but do you see what I mean? Yeah. So that's the that's the job market. And those are that's what the Fed's been trying to do. So. All right. It's you. Uh, you. I want to talk about Spotify. There's this great site called layoffs.fyi and you could look at this by by uh, sector or industry or sub-industry and uh, let's look at tech layoffs. So the pane on top shows it by monthly going back to 2022. The bottom one is a clear visual of what we just lived through. Yeah. Uh, there was there was an acceleration of of companies laying off in 2022. A little bit in Q1, more in Q2, more in Q3, more in Q4, and a really a crescendo in Q1, just layoffs everywhere. Q1 as, of this as, year. That was, the, this that year, was the peak in layoff announcements. As, as companies got fit, Meta, Amazon, Google, I think, I mean, you know. Yeah, I don't, they all I, did it I, at I, once. They all, <laughs> they all did it. Spotify did it a couple of times. And then the latest one that they announced was, uh, I think it was, was it 17% of the workforce or 1,700 people? I can't remember what it was exactly. No, was, Spotify Seventeen percent. It's like third round yeah. of job cuts this yeah. year, and it's another seventeen percent of staff. So that's, I mean, that's so a I lot. I read this and my reaction was, and I'll, I'll read what he said. I said I wrote in the doc. I don't really buy this. Spotify took a huge swing and missed. So here's here's what Daniel Luck said. Um, I realize that for many, a reduction of this size will feel surprisingly large given the recent positive earnings support and our performance. Yeah, you think? We debated making smaller reductions throughout 2024 and 2025, yet considering the gap between our financial goal state and our current operational costs, I decided that a substantial action to right-size our costs was the best option to accomplish our objectives. Uh, there's one other thing. Uh in 2020 and 2021, we took advantage of the opportunity presented by lower cost capital and invested significantly okay. in team expansion. They gave these it to Bill Simmons. <laughs> these investments generally and work. The, and, the, and the Prince of England or whatever. <laughs> Here's the thing. Uh, however, Yeah, exactly. However, we now find ourselves in a very different environment. Um, so so he, he blamed it on the macro as one does. I just, 
I don't buy it. It was good cover. I just don't buy it. They they took some big swings. And listen, I don't, I'm not mad at him. Like this is he's running a business and he's doing. I'm sure this is very difficult. I'm sure he doesn't want to lay off people from business decisions that that he and the company made. But then you put this in the doc that like the Wall Street Journal was like actually masterclass in in how to lay off a company. Yeah. I all right. So first of all, I f- with Daniel Ek heavy. I think I he, like Daniel Ek. Yeah, I think he, like, not single-handedly, but was instrumental in saving the music business. They don't see it that way because they need, like, a billion streams to get a nickel. But that's where this was going no matter what. It's really nice that somebody turned it into a business where artists could get something. Otherwise, they're, like, back to selling CDs on their own websites. I don't, I don't even know what, what would have happened if not for streaming coming along and replacing all the piracy. Um, because the internet was going to be used as a medium for people sharing songs. There was you know no what else other did? way that this was You know was what else go. he's doing? He's the only guy who's like vocally standing up to Apple and saying, this is bullshit. I don't know about only guy, but yes, probably. He's, well, he's he the is. loudest. He's the loudest. He's and he probably has, the mo- he has a lot to lose. Uh, yes. before, b- before we get to the, how the journal covered um, covered this, throw up this, this tweet, please. So this is from Vivek Goyal. He wrote, during the excess of COVID, many companies and investors came to the wrongful conclusion that COVID-era growth rates will persist, leading to significant increase in investments. Spotify obviously is in that category. Uh, then he says, however, as the tide turned, companies who realized their mistakes sooner and cut costs uh, faster uh, have been rewarded faster, as flatter is faster, leaner is better. So what we're looking at for those listening on the podcast is the change in 2024 free cash flow estimates since the beginning of, of January this year. And just again, you've got just changing free cut fake excuse me, free cash flow estimates. Meta 135%, Shopify 288%, Spotify 36%, Salesforce 21%, Amazon 40%. And I'm not gonna read the numbers, but all of the stocks that these companies represent was were heavily rewarded due to this. These companies don't just go up because investors are piling in for no reason. Right, like there are fundamental reasons why the companies have done as well as they have. Are they going too far though? Are they, Maybe are they cutting? Are they firing too many people that now? Oh, I thought you meant, I thought you meant the gonna, stock. Yeah, Pro- I doubt it. I doubt. You got to imagine these companies are bloated. So, so Chip Cutter at the Wall Street Journal dissected the Spotify CEO's layoff memo that he sent to all employees, and just like demonstrates like how masterful it really is. One of the first things he does is tie the situation of the company to the macro economy. That is funny. He's like, economic uncertainty. LOL. When is there economic certainty? Tell me when that day is. Are yeah. we? Are any of us certain? Fine. And then um, right sizing is like the. So it's the, we're not laying people off. We're right sizing the business. It's actually true. They probably is true. go crazy, uh, and and have to. Uh, peel back some of that. Anyway, I thought that was a good read. Okay, we're going to do Make the Case, a mystery chart, and then we're out. I see the clock is ticking, so I'm going to do this relatively quickly. I am probably top-ticking this stock. I bought a little bit. Um, The ticker is IOT. The name of the company is Samsara. Uh, This stock's already up 180% on the year. Perfect, perfect uh, (laughs) bottom-fishing candidate. (laughs) Um, Look, I... I don't think I'm getting the best price I'll ever get. So I didn't buy a lot. And uh, I do not think that anyone should follow me into the stock. But I do think people should listen to their last conference call because, as you could see in this chart, when they reported uh, last week, this thing went absolutely nuts and not for no reason. This company had a coming out party. It is now profitable. 
looking at over a billion dollar run rate. Basically what they do is they digitize physical assets for huge companies. They just got a contract with the government of New Orleans. Governor of New Orleans has like 42 different agencies. They have the police, they have the firefighters, they have the paramedics. Every single vehicle they have in the field is another vehicle that should have data being collected on it so that it could be used more efficiently so that central command knows how much mileage, how much usage, where are we positioned, et cetera, et cetera. So it's security, it's video telematics, it's cameras, it's AI. It's got every buzzword under the sun. Even the ticker is a buzzword, Internet of Things. But there, it's a big business. And uh, that, I listened to the conference call after seeing what the stock did. Like it, it grabbed my attention. And I just said, you know what? Maybe I'm top ticking it short term. But these guys know what they're doing. And this thing looks like it's going to run the table. So um, I'm, I'm a shareholder, new shareholder, but learning the story. I have no idea what the next 10% will be but I, I want to stay long this, this, this story. Interestingly, Mark Andreessen is on the board. Uh, they were early investors, it's a San Francisco-based company, um, and it's global. They're doing business. They, they announced 150 new customers paying them more than $100,000. That's like what they would consider to be a large customer. They're signing, that, that was like a 49% increase year over year just for the quarter. So I think it's an interesting story and uh, wanted to make the case for at least researching it, if not outright buying it. Uh, any thoughts? Any reaction? Is this a, it, it, what's, what's the name mean? Is this a U.S.-based company? San Francisco. Holy shit. It's got a $19 billion market cap? Yeah, dude. It's a, it's, it's a billion-dollar run rate, and it's profitable. It's not a bullshit. It's not, it's not like a startup. It's, uh, it was it a... Was, uh, it was a startup, and they had some really prominent money, venture, an, venture money, but now and, it's a business. And it's only trading at 648 times forward earnings. Yeah, no, I like it here. It's a, it's a steal when you think okay. of that. Uh, all right. We'll see, um, we'll see. We'll see. Don't listen. Don't get mad at me if it's 28 I'm, next week. Listen, uh, don't, we're all don't email me. Josh, we're, we're all grownups, right? We all make our own decisions, and then we blame <laughs> other people for them. That's how we do it. Okay. okay. Um, mystery charts. John, if you would. These are... Are this is ooh, it's a long term view. So this wait, wait, wait. is hold on, keep this up. What what is this? This is a stock. Well, seven thousand three hundred thirty two. I should have blocked that. All right, it's an index. My bad. It's an index. Look at the next one. These are these are similar but different. I mean, this is that's basically those are all time highs now. Let me try to understand this. I have to guess are, both of these indexes. You can guess one. You can guess. You can guess the other. These are indexes. What do they have? I to, mean, all right. So maybe give me a hint. Like, what do they have to do with each other? Geographically, they're they're. Right, so these uh, are country. These are country stock markets. You're yeah. saying, okay. Give me the first one. Okay, this is the FTSE 100. So the first one looks better than this. I mean, the second one looks better than the first. Close. Okay, this is Germany. Nope. One more. One more guess. Yeah. Is it? I'm in the right part of the the world. Yeah, yeah. I would have told you okay. if you weren't. You're very, What's you're, that? you're, scorch, you're scorching hot. I would have told you if you were way off. Uh, all right, give it to me. What is it? It's the CAC. This is the, the French. CAC? It's the CAC. It's always the CAC. And you never uh, expect it to be. Nope, but right. that's what it is. That's, that's next the one. French stock market. Okay. Yes. Give me the next one. And this is the DAX. Yeah, what's going on here? I thought Europe was on fire. 
like like in a negative sense. Dumpster fire. No, it's stocks basically at all time highs. These are like, and these are all value stocks. There's nothing expensive in those in those markets. They don't have any tax. So maybe 2024 is the year of the. Oh, uh, you know what's France like L'Oreal. It's like cosmetics, and then LVMH. LVMH. And then probably like a power plant, a nuclear power plant, and a shitty bank, and an even shittier telecom. Oh, that's, watch that's your mouth. A lot market. of lot of lot of French Sorry. viewers. My bad. No, it's great. It's uh, really good. Hey, everybody. Did you know hey, that everybody. tomorrow is Wednesday, which means another all new episode of my favorite podcast, Animal Spirits, with Ben Carlson and Michael Batnick? It's true. Your favorite podcast app will have that show first thing tomorrow morning. Brand new Ask the Compound with Duncan and Ben on Thursday. And this Friday, we have a fan favorite returning champion guest. You're going to love the show. There'll be so much more to come. Please stick with us. Please keep watching and rating and reviewing. And we'll see you soon. Whether you're just getting started as an investor or you're managing a multi-million dollar portfolio, Ritholtz Wealth Management has the solution for you. It all starts with building the right financial plan. To speak with a certified financial planner today, visit RitholtzWealth.com. Don't forget to check us out at YouTube.com slash The Compound RWM. Make sure to leave a rating and review on your favorite podcasting app. If you love investing podcasts, Check out Michael and Ben every Wednesday morning on Animal Spirits. Thanks for listening. Ritholtz Wealth Management is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Ritholtz Wealth Management and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as and may not be used in connection with an offer to sell or solicitation of an offer to buy or hold an interest in any security or investment product. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. No advice may be rendered by Ritholtz Wealth Management unless a client service agreement is in place.